Good morning, church, and for those who are joining us online, good morning to you too. I'm Esther Palaya. I'm one of the pastoral discipleship elders. I'm so grateful for this opportunity for bringing God's word to you this morning. Breaking news. I've retired 11 weeks now. And having not, having, not having to set the alarm to wake me up in the morning is sheer bliss. But another dimension to this new life is that I see myself trotting off to the gym for workouts. Now, family watching from home, they're going to fall off the chair when they hear this. Because never in my wildest dreams have I ever imagined that I would do this. I feel like a dinosaur among those equipment, just like how I'm feeling now with a hard copy of my notes. My initial motivation was I've paid for this, so I better make the best of it. Because one day, someone will take me where I don't want to go and dress me and tell me what I'm not supposed to do. So endure the pain and the discipline. But the first couple of weeks have been really good. But the past couple of weeks have been really good because I've made new friends who feel exactly like how I do. And that has made such a difference. Leaving the familiar for something new and necessary is great. And it's doable and meaningful when you do it together with others. Isn't that true? Like how we do and come together every Sunday. I could just relate to, know, to how the disciples were feeling that day in Galilee. They had been doing life together with Jesus for three years, having him plan their day and activities, and life was pretty intense. Did they ever imagine that their encounter with the Lord would shake their world and everything they ever believed in? If they had known what they were going to be doing in the next season of their lives, they, that would have blown their minds even further. But that's Jesus for you, folks. Jesus says to follow me, not figure it out. John's testimonies in the gospel point to Jesus as the Son of God. And by believing in him, you may have life in his name. What is written is sufficient to motivate you and me to believe Jesus for the more and the better life that he promises. John could have ended his book with Thomas's dramatic testimony, my Lord and my God. But he added one more chapter. Chapter 21 is called the epilogue, a Greek word which means to say more. He's just got to tell us what the future work for Jesus, for their disciples would be. Something new and necessary. As we unpack the events in John 21, we will notice that the timing of it all is impeccable. And the reason why John adds this one more testimony is so pertinent for you and me today. The events of the past week had rocked disciples' world, as I've mentioned. They had seen their master crucified on the cross and raised from the dead. Jesus had made two other appearances, walking in through locked doors, and he had told them to wait for him in Galilee. They were together when Simon Peter announced, I'm going out to fish. Being the leader that he was, the others took his cue and followed. Nobody said they couldn't fish while they waited, right? 
Now directionless and perhaps confused, Peter decides to do what he, wa he was familiar with. And we're not talking about recreational fishing here. He was going back to his trade and his livelihood. However, they fish all night but catch nothing. Motivation levels would have dropped so low, and it is at this point that Jesus shows up. Friends, you haven't caught any fish? To their reply of no, Jesus doesn't say, didn't I tell you to wait? He simply says, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Strangely though, these men, these disciples did not recognize Jesus, yet they responded to his authority. They responded immediately, although finding fish close to dawn would be most unlikely. A catch they did have so big that they were unable to haul the net in, we are told. 155 fish, 153 big fish, and the net did not tear. What caused them to recognize Jesus' authority? Was it because a similar miraculous catch of fish had happened before? And John, remembering, knew it was Jesus? Follow me, was Jesus' big ask of them after that miracle, and they did, left everything to follow him. Although it was John who discerned it was Jesus, it was Peter who acted. In his typically impulsive manner, Peter jumps into the water, abandoning the impressive catch of fish, and heads towards Jesus, leaving the other disciples behind. John MacArthur, in his book, Twelve Ordinary Men, calls Peter the apostle with a foot-shaped mouth. Peter was eager, aggressive, bold, outspoken, with a habit of putting his foot in his mouth. He was always the first to speak, act, and be rebuked as well, walking on water and then sinking, telling Jesus not to go to the cross, cutting off a, disciple, a soldier's ear, were some of the special moments of his life. The 12 were an amazingly diverse group. Their interests and personalities swept the spectrum. John and Peter were good friends and business partners. What he spoke, Peter acted on immediately. They had such a connection. Jesus always used fishing and a picture of, uh, as, as a picture of his work and the work he calls his followers to do. The term fisher of men was used by Greek and Roman readers centuries ago, and it means to seek to persuade men and to catch them for the truth. Peter and his disciples would soon learn that persuading men to the truth would need something more than just the boat, the equipment, the knowledge, and the skill. They needed to learn that when you fish with Jesus, he supplies the net that does not tear so that no fish escapes. And the next most vital thing, they had to learn to recognize his voice and listen to him. Although these men were professionals, yet only until Jesus spoke, their nets were empty. They had to be reminded that the only reason why they were successful that night was because Jesus showed up. 
they recognize this authority over the situation and were willing to be redirected. Point to remember, folks. Any attempts at evangelizing, witnessing, or making disciples will not be fruitful unless we realize that the only power that will sustain us is the one that belongs to Jesus. And the only effort worth pursuing is when he does the enabling and the equipping. And when we listen and obey, he surprises us with a blessing. Something else was waiting for them at the shore, a cooked breakfast by Jesus, just what hungry fishermen need. Peter reaches the shore first, and he sees a fire of burning coals with some fish on it and some bread. There are only two mentions of a fire of burning coals in the New Testament. One recorded Peter denying Jesus three times, and this one, Peter confessing his love for Jesus three times. Such a coincidence. But heavenly divine. Come and have breakfast, Jesus invites them. They each knew it was the Lord, but no one asked who he was, not even Peter. Were they all choked up thinking about how they had deserted him when he needed them most? Perhaps their hearts have been made tender by failure. Jesus is gracious, like how he is with you and me when we fail. He comes to us. When we get quiet with him, we will listen more than we speak. Jesus takes the bread and gives it to them, and he does the same with the fish. John echoes the words he used to describe another miracle of Jesus when he fed more than 5,000 with a boy's meager lunch. They remember this again. But this time, Jesus uses some of their fish, and he was doing the serving. Such humility from the risen Messiah. How his presence and the meal would have given them the consolation and the strength they so needed. I will come to you. He had told them before he died, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The world won't see me, but you will see me. And Jesus always keeps his word, friends. He does. Jesus delights to use the natural world to teach us spiritual things. He satisfied the hungry with bread, and then he says, He is the bread of life. He asked the woman at the well for water, and then he says, The water he gives fully quenches her thirst, and she will never thirst again. So, folks, God has one aim in your life and in mine, and his son lived out that aim. He wants you and me to not only recognize his authority, but to enjoy his presence. He loves it when you hit the pause button to read his word and fellowship with his Holy Spirit. He loves it when you read the Bible with someone, because when you read the Bible with someone, you bring them to Jesus. He loves it when you turn everything off and just get quiet with him, because you have to get to know him before you can recognize his voice. And now comes Peter's redefining moment. Jesus had set the scene so beautifully for this. As a leader, Peter had sinned publicly. He assumed he knew better, boastingly, boastfully uh, claiming on the night Jesus was arrested 
Even if all fall away, I will not. Jesus had warned him that far from remaining faithful, he would deny him three times before the next dawn. He had rejected Jesus' words in the presence of other disciples. He said, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Never say never, right? That led the other disciples to make similar proud vows. Now Jesus was going to restore him publicly, to erase the shame, to lift the clouds of denials in his heart once and for all. It was never Jesus' intention for Peter to be a leader driven by guilt and past failure. If you read Luke 24 and 34, Luke 24 verse 34, and 1 Corinthians 15 5, it mentions Jesus' private appearance to Peter after his resurrection. Such mercy. And I'm absolutely sure Peter had a chance to receive Jesus' forgiveness. Now Jesus takes a step further. He designs three critical questions that were going to recalibrate his thinking and his approach to life. Jesus calls him simply by his original name, Simon, son of John, taking him back in the time to the beginning when he was just a Simon, meaning a stone or a pebble, before he was given the new name Peter, or rock, which held the promise of stability and faithfulness. The Greek uses many words for love. Jesus uses the Greek word agape, a love that is pure and self-sacrificial. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me with agape love? More than this fish, these boats, and these nets, more than your claims to be the best and do the most for me? Simon, son of John, do you truly love me with a pure self-sacrificial love, agape love, going deeper into his heart, penetrating deep? Then Jesus switches to the Greek word philio for love, which means devoted brotherly love. Simon, son of John, do you love me are you even my friend? And that hurt. It pierced his heart. But Peter, in his response, in all his three responses, he uses the Greek word, filial love. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feeling hurt the third time. You know that I love you. The truth finally surfacing in his mind. I do love you, Lord. Not a 100% love like yours, but a flawed, failed love. You know my heart. He was pretty full of himself in the upper room before Jesus was arrested. He had declared to the Lord, I will lay down my life for you. But now Peter referred to Jesus as knowing all about him, once Peter thought that he had, all, he had it all together for Jesus, resting on his love, his zeal, and his faithfulness, but Jesus uncovers Peter's true heart and brings him to rest on Jesus' knowledge of every hidden recess of his heart. 
and he no longer dared compare himself with others. Friends, have you come to a place where your failures have stripped you of everything and you have left with only God? Then you ask, why God? And you hear him say, I've got you. Now listen to me. It was at that space that Jesus speaks to Peter's life, his new commission to feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, and feed my sheep. From a denier to being a devoted follower of Jesus, he was going to feed and shepherd the flock of God, his church. Feed my people as how I have fed you. Care and love them like how I have cared for you. Be my under-shepherd. Live and love my way. I've shown you how to do it. Peter's encounter with the Lord Jesus was a series of events tailor-made to grow him into maturity as a follower of Jesus Christ. God transformed Peter's natural boldness and impulsiveness to courage and stability. When people saw the courage of Peter and John after the Pentecost in Acts 4.13, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, and they were astonished as they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Peter was not defined by his denial of Jesus, but noted for being with Jesus. God had used every facet of his personality, his weaknesses and his strengths to grow him. And Jesus, who knew Peter's heart, also knows your heart. How will you allow him to use every part of your life, every facet of your personality, for his glory and your good? And then this, this extra bit, Jesus tells him how he's going to die. Peter would one day fulfill his vow of laying down his life for Jesus. Records tell us that Peter was crucified upside down because he felt unworthy to be crucified like Jesus. How God had transformed him to be a disciple marked by self-sacrificial agape love, following the footsteps of his master. The, the conversation continues on the beach. As Peter walks ahead with Jesus, he turns back and he sees John. Lord, what about him? Jesus' reply was, if I, if I want him to be alive until I return, what is that? to you. You must follow me. Ouch, that hurt. It held a sharp rebuke. Jesus continues to redefine his thinking. You know, when I received a call to teach the Bible to a class of women in 2012, I felt like Peter too. My first thought, Lord, no, this is going to be too hard and too much. And then I did the, and then I did the next worst thing. And I looked around and asked, why me? Why not her, Lord? You see, folks, that's what happens when you take your eyes off the Lord, even for a minute. When Jesus says, follow me, then he becomes the standard and not your own perfections to brag about or others in perfection to look down upon. Following Jesus leaves no room for boasting and self-sufficiency, it's the perfect solution for inadequacy. 
The events of that early morning by the beach was divinely orchestrated. The scene of Jesus dying on the cross was fresh on their minds. The memory of them forsaking him hung over their heads. But those words, Father, forgive them, were still ringing in their ears. To have him now beside them, providing for them and feeding them was just overwhelmingly precious. Jesus had brought them to a place of gratefulness and being ready to be redirected. That's how God works. Because the only reason you are able to say, I love you, Lord, is when you remember he loved you first. When you lose sight of the cross and his love, you lose your motivation to love and to serve. Because folks... Motivation is a God-driven drive, God-given drive, God-driven grace. Peter and John had a choice. They could have been motivated by more convenient loves, like the big catch of fish, but they did not become successful fishermen. They became fisher of men, shaped by God for greatness in his kingdom. God's plan for each of us is unique. Peter himself writes in 2 Peter chapter 1, keep adding to your faith. In other words, grow. Do not forget that you have been cleansed. Keep refreshing your memory of the cross. How Peter has learned to strengthen others from his own experience. And Jesus' prayer of him was answered. These disciples followed Jesus into the book of Acts, and they received power to be incredible witnesses of Jesus Christ. They have been off the scene for centuries, but you and I are not. The Holy Spirit is not. Jesus is not, and God is not. I wonder, like John, would we be saying, if every encounter with God in our lives were written down, there wouldn't be room for the books that would be written to. Where is God redirecting you to do something new and necessary? Perhaps for yourself or your family or in your workplace or in the community and here in this church. Who in your life needs to be loved like how Jesus has loved you? Too hard? Too much, you say? First, get quiet with God, and you will hear him say how much he loves you, and you will hear him redirect you to someone who needs you, and he will give you the solution. Follow me, my way to live and love. And you know, life gets more bearable and more meaningful and more doable when you have others to do it together with you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, gracious God. You are a good father. You have come to us. Your life-giving words grow us and give us hope. Thank you for this moment with the disciples and our time together with you. We give you our flawed love and ask you to use us for your purpose. Thank you, Lord, for persevering with us and investing your purposes in our lives. Redefine us, Lord, to have a God-shaped heart, grooming us for your glory and our good. Amen.